Hello, strange folks. Hello, hello. We're back. Finally. I know. I suck at life. <laughs> I'm Anna. I'm Lance. And you're listening to your new favorite podcast, Murderers Night Out. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. Hello. Sorry, it's been a while again. <laughs> uh, oh, life. Life and trying to Emily Emily's still out, so Lance is still sitting in with me and trying to find time for everybody to be able to join because you know he has his side gig and working and parents and <sighs> being an adult. Adulting <laughs> sucks. <laughs> it's it's been a real challenge. It has. There's been a lot going on. I'm. I know I said this last time, but I am going to try to get better at this. <laughs> um, so I do apologize. Uh, we hope everybody has caught up on, you know, the last couple of episodes. There's I'm been... sure they have by now. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely been plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, so thanks for hanging in there, you know, hanging in there with us guys and, you know, being patient. Um, it's actually... We just passed the 30-year anniversary of the case that, you know, we've been covering the last couple of weeks. So I think it's a good, you know, it's a good time to bring in the, I, what do you, the curtain call, the the finale, right. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, what better time. Exactly. And so, yeah, just a couple of things to remind everybody of, you know, never miss an episode if we can ever get on a good schedule, <laughs> um, you can follow us on Apple podcasts and this is all totally free. Just hit the little, little plus sign button up at the top of your, uh, in your app and you'll get a nice little notification to let you know when a new episode's out. So easy peasy. Exactly. And totally free. And like I said, you can follow us on Apple podcast, uh, Spotify, Amazon prime. We also have a Facebook page, which is M N O true crime podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Murders Night Out. And also rate and review us. It really helps us out. It really does. It gets us, you know, out there and maybe more listeners and, you know, rate and review us. Even if it's a sad review or low stars, <laughs> I I might cry in the corner, but, you know, I'm trying here. Okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> helps the visibility. Exactly. And also, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to the link in the show notes, which takes you to our homepage, which lists all the platforms you can listen to us on. And there's a nice little button that says support the show, which really helps us out. Um, and so, yeah, with that being said, Lance, you got any Lance, you got any words for the the patient listeners out there? Uh, no, I guess, uh, I'm just ready to dive right in. Yeah, it's, uh, we're diving right in on the finale of this case in remembrance mm -hmm. of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers. Yes, yes. Hold on to your booties. Uh-oh. So we last left off, Jesse, Miss Kelly had just been convicted of first degree murder in the death of Michael Moore, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And then he was convicted of second degree murder 
in the death of Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers and was sentenced to 20 years for each count to be served consecutively. And then Damien and Jason, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin were convicted on three counts each of capital murder. And since Damien was an adult, he was, he was sentenced to death and Jason was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. We also went through the investigation and a couple of things that came up in the investigation and how it was laid out, the discovery and everything. And so here is where we're going to go into the aftermath. So obviously appeals began immediately. There were a numerous amount uh, filed throughout the years and convictions for all three were upheld multiple times at the circuit court level by none other than Judge Burnett and at the Arkansas State Supreme Court. And this, of course, happened throughout 1996 to 2008. During this time, several motions were filed by the convicted and their attorneys to preserve the evidence for future testing. Right. You know, we've come a long way with DNA, which, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, DNA isn't what it is now. Nothing. Actually, I mean, it wasn't in two th- in the t- early 2000s. It wasn't what it was in the early 90s. So, I mean, right. and there's always advancements. Um, anyways, so between 2005 and 2007, and this is where I kind of skipped over a couple of appeals, but this is where I would say the most important aftermath and appeals and things to come about happen uh Uh so between 2005 uh and 2007 there was a lot a lot of dna testing done and there was also some different things that were done um they did dna testing and found partial dna profiles that indicated male dna on the nail scrapings of michael moore and stevie branch a nasal swab from stevie branch and ligatures on michael moore And then they found complete and partial DNA profiles on the following on oral, nasal, and rectal swabs from the victims. Uh, They did, they found complete and partial DNA profiles on a piece of a red brown stained string, which was from the Stevie Branch's body. They, uh, they did this for a hair that was found on Christopher Byers' body and also from fingernail scrapings from Christopher Christopher Byers. It is important to note that through this DNA testing, they did compare it to Damien, Jason, and Jesse, and it actually excluded the three of them. Well, of course it did. Yes, and keep in mind, you know, this is complete and partial profiles, so it's not... 100%, you know, 100%, but it did, those particular items from the evidence did exclude them according to the crime lab report. There was also, and this is probably one of the more famous new pieces of evidence back in the day that they found was they found a hair on Michael Moore's bindings that was consistent with Terry Hobbs. Mm. Now, remember, Terry Hobbs is the stepfather to Stevie Branch. Right. Now, even though it was consistent and, you know, 
in the in the instance of being completely fair, uh, because DNA, it was a type of STR testing. And even though it was consistent with Terry Hobbs, it was consistent with about 30 people in West Memphis at the time. Uh-huh. Now you can take that just like, you know, some of the other, you know, DNA that we had talked or quote unquote DNA or findings, cryblime information that we had talked about earlier in the episodes. It wasn't nuclear DNA. It was mitochondrial DNA, which mitochondrial DNA basically it tells you the lineage. If I remember correctly, it's the lineage of the hair. So it's passed down from generation to generation. It'll be consistent throughout different lines throughout the family line. Basically nuclear DNA is that extremely unique DNA that's found that differs from person to person. But with that being said, it only matched uh, a percentage of the population, which would have been about 30 people in West Memphis at the time. So you can take that as you would like. Now, one, uh, one other thing that was uh, actually, you know, really important. Do you remember when we talked about the wounds that were found on the, the boys' bodies? Yeah, for the most part. Well, later on in, I believe this was also in, so in 2007, the defense had uh, the medical evidence re-examined. They brought in Dr. Warner Spitz, who which, who was an award-winning medical forensic pathologist, and Dr. Richard Suveron. Um, I cannot say that last name. <laughs> um, he was the chief forensic odontologist for the Miami-Dade County Medical Examiner's Office. These are two completely separate medical professionals, separate from the West Memphis and surrounding area. So the defense had these guys brought in to re-examine the medical findings that Dr. Frank Peretti found in the first autopsies. Right. So like I said, they've got a list of awards that are miles and miles long. So good candidates to look at all this. (laughs) Yeah. Nationally recognized Dr. Werner Spitz and uh, Dr. Robert was certified by the American Board of Forensic Odontology. He has been in the field for, at the time, I think it said like 41 years in 2007. So, which you're, you might ask why, why teeth? Why, why, why does teeth matter? Right. Well, they reanalyzed Dr. Frank Peretti's findings. And you remember those wounds that we talked about that a lot of the boys suffered? Yeah, for the most part. Their findings were basically the injuries on the victims were due to animal activity. What? Specifically turtles. Are you serious? Yes, I'm drop dead serious. And this was further an I feel more inclined to believe this because uh, the Truth and Justice podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times, they did a really good deep dive on this case. I know I've said that several times. Well, they actually tested this theory. He went to West Memphis to the place where the bodies were found, and he threw raw chicken breasts into the body of water where they were found. Yeah. And sure enough, here come turtles nibbling at the chicken breast and wow yes so long story short they their findings were that especially when it came to the 
genital injuries that Christopher Byer suffered. Yeah. Um, he noted that animals will go for areas where there's a lot of blood and uh. tissue and soft tissue. So uh. that was one of the big things. Also in 2008, a... Arkansas attorney by the name of Lloyd Warford had filed an affidavit uh, detailing dozen of in, dozens of improper conversations that he had held with the jury foreman during the Eckel Baldwin's trial. So he was a family attorney of this jury foreman. He was actually representing this foreman's brother in another separate case that was impending. Apparently, during uh, when all of this was going on, um, this foreman had expressed his interest in this case and was actually summoned to be selected for jury duty. The lawyer had informed this foreman that because of the impending investigation of his brother, that this foreman would likely be chosen not to serve. But this foreman was going to do anything he could to do his civic duty and that he was not going to avoid jury duty. Uh, he said in the affidavit that he assured him that he was not going to have to do anything appropriate, appro inappropriate to avoid jury, jury duty and that his brother's situation would come out when he was questioned and he would be struck from the jury by the prosecutors. Uh, also in this affidavit, the attorney explained that, he was explaining to this guy that the defense would not want him either because he knew way too much about the case. And apparently this man was very upset at the idea he could be struck because he knew too much about the case. He thought it was crazy that quote informed people like him who read the paper every day should be excluded from jury duty in favor of quote stupid people who couldn't and didn't read. Dang. Yes. That's harsh. Right. So he goes on to further detail um, after this guy was selected for jury duty. He apparently had avoided question when he was questioned. There's a line of questioning that jurors go through. And I guess somehow he wiggled his way around it and was ultimately selected to serve on the jury in the Baldwin Nichols case. Wow. <laughs> so. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Interesting, wonky. He said that during, you know, conversations while, you know, this case was going on, the jury is not supposed to, you know, talk to people outside. That is the whole point of getting an unbiased jury. They're not supposed to have a lot of detail about this case. They're not supposed to you're not supposed to be getting outside information basically. Yeah. Uh, but the attorney would call to inform this foreman of, you know, updates in his brother's case. And in this affidavit, he said that at one point he had distinctly remembered this foreman saying, quote, if anyone is going to convince the jury to convict, it is going to have to be me. Wow. And then that this guy hit and later during the trial best he described this guy's attitude as angry with the prosecutor and the lack of proof 
but that he nevertheless was convinced that the defendants were guilty. That's ridiculous. Right. And then also in this affidavit, he said that he complained during and after the trial about the defense attorneys being allowed to clean up the defendants. He said it didn't matter. All you had to do to know that Eccles was a devil worshiper was to look him in the eyes and you knew he was evil. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So you got the jury foreman in there. And there was also allegations and in this affidavit of them bringing him bringing up Miss Kelly's confession, which that was not supposed to be allowed in uh, yeah. into court, right? No. So you got this guy back there basically admitting that there's <sighs> no evidence, but he was convinced that they were guilty either way, and he was going to convince the jury that they were guilty. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So you got that. So fucked up. You got that going on. <laughs> so in light of all of this, you know, new evidence that was tested that excluded the boys, which, I mean, yeah, I guess you could look at it either way. Maybe they didn't find the right evidence, that kind of thing. Yeah. But all the stuff that they did find that had DNA on it didn't match the boys, basically. Right. And then, of course, the juror misconduct, because, you know, whether you think they're guilty or not guilty, you have the right to a fair trial. And they that's not a one. fair that's not a fair trial, at least in the Baldwin and Eccles case. Right. I mean, none of it was, but let's be honest. <laughs> so they, of course, filed motions for retrials and petitions uh, with all of this you know, coming to light, which ultimately were denied by none other than Judge Burnett in September of 2008, arguing that the DNA was inconclusive. This motherfucker's still around. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to speak out of term here, but I want to say that any type of retrial or motion that kind of it has to go back to the original judge, which... I don't understand that. That makes no sense. I, because I, if if the first judge fucks up, then who's to say he's going to let it come to light that he fucked up? I'm not a lawyer. I'm just. I here. mean, <laughs> come on, golly. So I, I agree. I think that in other cases, you know. Honestly, I don't honestly I don't know because I feel like you should get a new and impartial judge for any type of retrial whether you think they're guilty or innocent yeah. just to keep I guess get keep fresh, it fair, keep it fresh, fresh eyes, yeah. fresh ears. I don't know. But apparently there's something to where it has to go back to the original judge if I'm not mistaken. So, like I said, it was that motion for a retrial due to the juror misconduct and the DNA evidence that they had tested excluding them. He denied it basically saying that it was inconclusive. Well, yeah. Cause he was convinced they were guilty to be in with anyway. In which to play the devil's advocate, I guess I could kind of see it based on the limited things that they were able to test. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I mean, it was, it was very limited evidence that they tested. 
but at it's the same enough. time, at the same time, I feel like if they were the perpetrators, especially when it came to like the fingernail scrapings and any type of swabs, maybe not the swabs, but the fingernail scrapings at least. Yeah. I feel like that would be a pretty crucial piece of evidence if it is it's enough to say hey you know right because if you're fighting for your life you're gonna you know you're gonna get the perpetrator i feel like the perpetrator's dna under your nails now depending on if it washed away i don't know i'm not a forensic person or a forensic specialist but you know in my mind i'm thinking that that makes sense it's enough to make them at least want to go back and say hey let's look at this again right you know. Well, they didn't. Judge was like, nah, inconclusive. Crazy. Crazy, <laughs> so, crazy. Of course, they were not done. The, uh, you know, the boys were not done. So they took it, you know, they, they filed more appeals even to, you know, the state level. And by November 2010, the Arkansas State Supreme Court had ordered a trial court judge to determine whether the new evidence and misconduct justifies a new trial or exoneration basically they had to pick one or the other they had to either give them a new trial or exonerate them right the so the state supreme court ruled basically in their favor good in in the conviction about freaking time so eventually their trial dates kept get pushing kept getting pushed back um you know motions and appeals how the justice system works anyways Long story short, eventually by August of 2011, the Alford plea was put on the table, which everybody, you know, this is probably one of the more famous Alford plea cases. Yeah. So the Alford plea is basically that they plead guilty, but do not have to admit to the act and are allowed to maintain their innocence while acknowledging that prosecutors have enough evidence to convict them. And... Now, with that being said, you can look at it one or two ways. Why would the prosecution offer this deal if they really thought they were guilty? Yeah. Or why would the defense take this deal if they knew if they got a new trial and they were innocent? Right. It can be looked at one of two ways. That's my thing right there is, you know, I feel like they have enough at this point to retrial well and and later on damien said that one of the reasons that they took it i think it was damien i think it was all three of them really yeah um they said that you know remember damien's on death row and if you read his book like he went through quite a bit oh i can imagine he went through quite a bit and he ultimately ended up saying this was not you know the ideal scenario but at least they can fight the fight on the outside rather than waiting for the trial while it keeps constantly getting pushed back. So I can understand it. And the thing is whether the defense offered this deal or the prosecution offered this deal, the prosecution ultimately has to sign off on it. Cause one of the things, you know, some people say is that, well, if, you know, why would the defense offer this if they knew they were innocent? You know, like I said earlier. Yeah. But ultimately, prosecution has to sign off on it. So you can look at it one of two ways. Hmm. Anyways, 
Uh, they took the Alfred plea, all three boys, and were sentenced to time served. So they walked out of prison that day. Yeah, I mean, I could see taking that because, right, you know, at least you get the fuck out of there. Exactly. But. Now, before we get into the most recent stuff, I wanted to talk about some of the other crime scene evidence that was taken the day of, uh, just so you know, you can make your own, draw your own conclusions, and what have you. So, at the crime scene, the evidence taken, besides the scrapings and swabs and stuff, which wasn't really at the crime scene, it was off the boy's body, but at the crime scene, they took in, you know, uh, a blue boy, a blue Boy Scout shirt, a white polka dot shirt, a pair of blue jeans, one white, one right white tennis shoe. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> a Cub Scout blue and yellow cap. One black tennis shoe with purple interior. Blue jeans and a blue wallet. One black right tennis shoe with purple interior. A black and white striped shirt with surfboard design. A pair of child's multicolor red underwear. One white left tennis shoe. One size three right black tennis shoe with one sock, a pair of blue denim jeans, one size three black left tennis shoe. Now I say all that to say, we just went over that list. If you add all of that up, you've got one pair of pants for each victim, one shirt for each victim, one pair of shoes for each victim, but only one sock and one pair of underwear. Hmm. Like, you know, where's That's everything odd. else? Yeah. How much of that was laying on Gitchell's office floor? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it just it just kind of makes you question, okay, where's where's the rest of it? Yeah. You know, where's the rest of it? Is it still is there something we're missing or did the perpetrator take it with them? Yeah. You know? Because if everything else is there, it would make sense that there would be one of each for each victim. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, really. And then also, uh, they took, there were two footprints that they took a plaster cast mold of, which was ultimately compared to the footwear in the three accused. And it didn't match any of the victims and it, it didn't match any of the victim's footwear. It didn't match any of the three convicted's footwear. And it also did not match any of the police officers or detectives that worked the scene. Interesting. They didn't compare it to anything else. Oh, my God. And one of the things that that podcast I also brought up talked about the shoelaces that right. the boys were bound with one of the shoes that was recovered still had a shoelace in it. So really? you've got three pairs of shoes, six strings, but seven laces. Hmm. Yeah. That's odd. And I think in the, in some of the research, it said that in trial, the one of the shoelaces was described as a black string but in the in the police report they detailed them as shoestrings 
So right. you got three pairs of shoes, which equals six strings, but right. one of the shoes still had a lace in it. So that's seven shoe strings. I know so it seems. Where did this other one come from? I know. And I know it seems a little, maybe it, it might seem silly, but when you think about it, to me, the fact that they pointed that out, that's, you know, I'm like, you know what? Huh. Right. Where did, like, test that shit. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> do something <laughs> exactly so i you know that's just you know some food for thought <laughs> keep mm. that in mind um and then you know just to to wrap it up you know there has been some recent developments so in december of 2021 news channel 3 out of memphis uh reported that damian eccles lawyer had apparently evidence that was once reported as lost or misplaced or damaged was found. Uh, his lawyer, which his name was Patrick Benka said that he had been trying to gain access to the evidence for 18 months, 18 months and was told by the, you know, West Memphis police department that it was lost, damaged or missing. Yeah. Right. They really wanted the ligatures. As I said, Six string, six, mm-hmm. you know, six pairs of shoes, seven laces. Doesn't add up. Right, right. Uh, I don't know if that was the reason, but they really wanted access to the ligatures. And of course, they were told that, you know, lost, missing, or <laughs> damaged. Anyways, uh, by he obtained a state court order in order to, that's how far he had to go to be able to walk into the West Memphis Police Department. Either way, he walked into the, police department and found the evidence intact and organized (laughs) after being told (sighs) for the longest that they didn't have it anymore basically shocker so eventually in i think it was january of 2022 they had filed a petition to the court to test this evidence using new DNA technology. They wanted to use MVAC, which is a wet vacuum method. I'm not totally sure how it works, but I think it sucks some stuff up. I'm, I'm using real technical terms here. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Anyways, it was a new way of testing DNA evidence. And in June of 2022, this, the Crittenden County judge denied this request on the basis that oh, since... Damien Eccles was not currently incarcerated. He could not request to have evidence retested. Uh, bullshit. It's on his record, ain't it? Uh, I'm sorry. Dude. that. And then, you know what? Also in this article, it even stated that the prosecution went on to further say that MVAC DNA testing is not, not scientifically sound and could destroy the evidence. Oh, my Lord. My thing is, is, okay, you're telling Damien he can't request to have the DNA retested, right? Right. So why do you care if it gets destroyed? Exactly. And y'all are just doing everything you can to not allow this man a chance to clear his name. And, you know... In years, if they, when they finally, if they finally do test it, we could all be wrong or they could be guilty. I don't know. 
so far, I haven't seen it. You know, I just went through all of this evidence that, you know, excluded them or pointed to somebody else. And okay, why not test it? Now, with that being said, based on that, in January of 2023, Damien and his lawyers filed an appeal to overturn that June 2022 ruling with the Arkansas Supreme Court. Yeah. And finally, last month, April of 2023, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the appeal, which requested to remand the case back to the circuit court for a full hearing on the merits of the request. Basically, finally, basically saying, Hey, you cannot dismiss his request to retest evidence. Yeah. So to hold a full hearing to decide whether to retest it or not, instead of just saying, Hey, Nope, we're not going to retest it. You don't have the right to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous in the first place. Now, we actually kind of touched a little bit on in previous episodes about other potential suspects, one being Chris Morgan, you know, the one we talked about where he had fled to California and he admitted to it on tape, but then immediately recanted. And of course, they weren't allowed to use that in the trial because the judge said something along the lines of, well, if we just let everybody in here that admits to it and then recant it, we'd have a, you know, long list and mm, blah, mm, blah, mm, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there was that one. Then, of course, Mr. Bojangles, Mr. Bojangles which yep. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer with that one, considering, you know, what happened with the blood scrapings. And well, they magically were lost. Right. <laughs> they were lost. Can't get over that, <laughs> dude. I can't get over this entire case. Like, I knew this case was like messed up, but yeah, until I started recording these with you, I didn't realize how fucked up they were. Yeah, like it's it's bad, and, bad. You know, you know, like I told you in the earlier episodes, you know, we had that mutual friend that you know said to look at it from the stance of you know them being guilty. One of the reasons it has taken me so long to, you know, finally get this out is because I have absolutely poured through this case file and all the evidence, forensic evidence that was taken, whether it was in the court trials or in the documentaries, what have you, either was inconclusive excluded them or it might have matched mitochondrial yes thank you (laughs) but which matched like seven seven or ten percent of the population that kind of thing and so just the gross mishandling of evidence you know yeah and then, you know, you got the, and lost, you know. well, not only that, but then, you know, you got that knife that we talked about, yep. the John Mark, what's referred to as the John Mark Byers knife, which he was another potential suspect. You know, he gave a knife to the 
HBO producers of Paradise Lost, which once again, the tissue and stuff in it was consistent with, you know, Christopher Byers. And even though he had said it had never been used, that kind of thing. One of the Mm -hmm. other things that came out, which I guess I would say is kind of irrelevant, maybe at this point, because of the findings that came out in like 2008 about the animal activity, which can be debated. I guess it depends on what kind of professional you have look at things, but each professional is going to have a different opinion. However, um, apparently one of the things is, you know, Eccles, Miss Kelly and Baldwin all submitted imprints of their teeth that were compared to alleged bite marks on Stevie Branch's forehead and that had not actually been mentioned in the original autopsy or the trial. Well, it didn't match any of them. However, John Mark Byers had actually had his teeth removed in 1997, which was after the first trial, but before an imprint could be made. (laughs) He said the reason... He said the reason he had them removed was due to a seizure uh, seizure medication that caused him some periodontal disease and that he had planned the removal and other kinds of dental work for years. But it's weird that it happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just a little side Suspicious. note, a little side note to add to that. Although I will say that most of his whereabouts the night of the disappearance were accounted for which yeah go watch the forgotten west memphis three on oxygen or go listen to the real in-depth deep dive or honestly reinvestigation on the truth and justice podcast by bob ruff because they start from the very beginning and yeah yeah, this this case was (laughs) It was made more complicated than it needed to be. Yeah. And then there's also, in regards to other suspects, you know, Terry Hobbs, the hair. And I think it came out later that one of the witnesses had stated the boys were last, you know, seen talking to him or around him. And one of his alibi witnesses, which was a man by the name of David Jacoby, um, his hair hair that was consistent with him was also found at the scene. Really? However, he recanted something happened to where he recanted his alibi for Terry Hobbs. I'm not totally sure. I'm trying to remember it from memory and I'm not at my best today. So, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I say all that to say you can draw your own conclusions. I think that given the way this case was handled and a lot of the stuff that was going on. I, as of right now, I think if anything, test the evidence. What's it? Yeah. I mean, retest the evidence. I just don't understand like why they're just, you know, sticking so hard to their guns and, you know, not at least reevaluating. Like, what if you got the wrong guys and they're still out there? You know, well, why would you not? And I'm not saying you're going to catch anything at this point, you know, this much later, but I'm just saying, like, you know, that's three 
Well, not only three young children, basically that were a that you know the three that were killed, but you know there's three more that you've basically ruined their entire life because you fucked up and you didn't allow them the chance to prove themselves. Like these guys went into this trial guilty until proven innocent. Right. And that's fucked up. Like they never had a chance. And exactly, exactly. And you know, what's it going to hurt? Yep. What's oh, it gonna hurt? And the thing it's going to expose them that they fucked up. That's what it is. <laughs> well, not to not only that, but like, do it even if you dislike the three convicted. Do it for the victims. Yeah. Do it for the three little boys that were brutally slain. Even if it's just to just to be like, okay, further reassurance that we got the right person, or lead us to the right person whether they're dead or alive so they can finally have real real justice right because what they're doing is just prolonging this because but yeah they're just like prolonging this they're making this Sorry, drag we had, to, we had to take a quick break it sounded like toddler fight ring going yeah. on outside the door. <laughs> right Which, you know make sure our kids don't end up as the subject of a podcast <laughs> you know they sound but like, yeah, they're that just, four-year-old can be kind of mean. Yeah. <laughs> but Sorry, uh, go ahead. yeah, it just seems like they're dragging this out. Like, and I'm not saying Damien and them, because I mean, rightfully so. If you're if you're innocent, you're gonna do everything in your power to clear your name. And you're gonna keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. Well, and the court system, like, it's like, I don't know. To me, it seems like if if they wanted to put an end to it, mm-hmm. retest the evidence. And like you said, find out one way or the other what exactly the answer is. Well, and my thing is, okay, so you have a law that says that since they're not technically incarcerated, he can't request to retest the evidence. Well, who's supposed to request to have it retested? Right. I mean, you've got people out there saying retest it, retest it. I mean, uh, so nobody I- else is going to give a fuck. I just, I don't understand. And I know there's a lot of like legal mumbo jumbo, but if anything, just do it because what do you have to lose? Do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, not, yeah, exactly. Exactly. If for nothing else, do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it for the three beautiful, cute little eight-year-old boys that lost their life. 30 years ago in a brutal and horrific manner. Yep. Absolutely. <sighs> and find their actual killers because I'm sorry. Nobody's ever going to convince me that those three dudes, those three teenagers were guilty of anything. Nobody. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. And, you know, I tried to find evidence of their guilt. I did. You saw me. I dug and yeah. dug and dug. And it doesn't exist. Aside from the few little things that, you know, the whole, like, it matches this percentage of the population. Yeah. I, Which doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't. And I don't know. I would love to hear you guys 
y'all's um, thoughts and what you think. And based on the information that I've given you, of course, you can find it. Um, the My Callahan website has most of the, which is linked in the show notes, has most of the case file in there. You can dig through it. I've gone through, I mean, I've read books, I've read, I've listened to, you know, watch documentaries. I've listened to podcasts that were determined that they were guilty. And, you know, the biggest thing they have is like their alibis or, you know, the confessions and the things that they said. But I mean, keep in mind, 16 and 17 and 18 year old boys say dumb shit. And that's not to say (laughs) that, you know, that's evident of their guilt because or evident of their innocence like i'm not but when you take that into account and then take into all of the other stuff i went over and how this case was handled i i just i don't see it i've always been an advocate of them being innocent and then when i had that conversation with our friend i was like because he's a former police officer and i was like okay cool all right. So, okay, I'm kind of in middle ground now. So let me let me find the evidence of their guilt. I could not find it. I even spent it's a day not there. I even spent a day like a couple of days learning how to read uh, STR charts just to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. And I don't I'm not a professional by any means, but combing through the crime lab reports, combing through the stuff that was tested and stuff that was led into trial wasn't led into trial. There's nothing there. Nope. And like I said, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts. Email me. Let me know if there's something that I missed. Send me, you know, email me the evidence. Email me the, you know, the documents, what have you. I would love to know. But that yeah. that is the finale or the final part to the West Memphis three. I thank y'all for hanging mm-hmm. in there. This was a, this was a big case that I don't think, like I've said before, I don't think I was mentally. I don't think I mentally prepared myself enough for how much information out there yeah. there is out there. Cause there's a lot and there's a lot to comb through and it's, you know, do your own research, draw your own conclusions. Love to hear what you think, but Again, thank you for hanging in there. Yes, thank you. And email me your thoughts at murdersnightout at gmail.com. Thanks, Lance, for joining me on this dark adventure. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Glad I could fill in for Miss Emily. Yeah. And y'all let us know if uh, y'all want to keep me on as a background host. And hopefully I'll get on a better schedule, but sorry. Life yeah. sucks. Life <laughs> well, life, life, life's busy. Life doesn't suck. Life's been busy. Yeah. It's been busy. <laughs> All right. Well, that ends the West Memphis Three. Keep, you know, the victims. And remember, it's about them. And if you believe that these boys were falsely convicted, it's all that you know, six victims right there. Yeah. And ultimately about the three, eight year olds that lost their lives. 
remember those names, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. If anything, whether you believe Damian, Jesse, and Jason are guilty, retest the evidence. Yeah. At the least. Even if it is just to further reinsure that they got the right people. Just to make sure the three victims got justice. And thank you uh, once again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.